challenging, though, is that there is a delay uh, since we're doing this over the internet. And so if it seems like I interrupt you, I'm not meaning to. There's just a delay between, you know, where we talk. So for, for <laughs> when we listen to it, that can be a little bit frustrating because there tends to be a bit of a gap in between questions and answers. Right. But also when we're just conversing, um, sometimes it might feel like I'm interrupting you. I'm definitely not trying to. So <laughs> ignore that. If it seems like I'm inter interrupting, you just carry on and keep talking because it's just to do with the time delay over the Internet. Okay. Well, thanks for being willing to do this. Did I did I make you get up early, or are you an early riser? Um, I, you did not make me get up early. I am sometimes an early riser and sometimes not, but I was up this morning, so we're good. Convenient. Convenient for me. <laughs> so, Jeff, uh, before asking you any pipe-specific stuff, I'm curious what other stuff you love. What occupies you know your time and your thoughts and your energy other than bagpipey stuff? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, uh, I, I I like to. I'm, I'm not sure I'm, if this is the right way to say it. I I am committed to exercise. I'm not sure I'd say I like it. Ah. <laughs> but uh, and I I do sometimes. But I'm trying to figure out. Sorry, this is not a good way of answering the question. But no, this is great. I used this to be great. I used to be a runner. Yeah. And uh, the last few years I've been having back problems, so I'm, I'm trying to negotiate a way to have some consistent exercise right now i'm i'm walking but the running is bothering my back so anyway so as far as what i spend my time on i i do some sort of exercise most days um um uh, usually walking these days um and um i i enjoy stuff around the house i enjoy yard stuff and stuff and um, those kind of projects Always thinking of my next project, which probably uh, drives that, my wife crazy. But. That's a list that never gets shorter, huh? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It gets longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, with running, were you have you ever been a competitive runner, or has it always been just for to enjoy the the sport? Um, not not really competitive. No, I I never I didn't run in high school. I hated running in high school actually, mm -hmm. and. Uh, um, it was really about 10 years ago that I, well, it, when I was in college, I had some roommates who decided they were going to run um, the Desert News Marathon. This was the 1997, so it was the 100th, 150th anniversary of the Saints coming to the Valley. And they decided, let's go do the marathon. And uh, and they were runners, and I thought, well, this sounds fun. And so I started running with them, and uh, and that's when I decided I liked running. It was social, you know. There's a whole group of us that were running together and preparing for the marathon together, and and the marathon was actually it was a good experience, but it like killed my knees and whatever. It was yeah, really, sure. it was a painful experience, and I never want to do one again. But it was the whole preparation was fun. I just really enjoyed it, and it became a social thing for me. And I and I learned that I liked running. Um, I think beyond just the social. Um, just a second here. Um, so, is the volume okay on this? Yeah, it's coming through just great. Okay. I, have a, I have a very simple um, sort of level check here, and it's looking great so far. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I have a little level check. I mean, it keeps going up into the yellow, and I, I thought, oh, is that going to be a problem for you? No, I think we're going to be fine. I, I'll, put it through a, I'll put it through a condenser afterwards, and hopefully it'll just bring the highs and lows together a bit. Okay. 
Anyway, so um, so after that, I didn't run for a long time because my knees bugged me after the marathon, and every time I'd run, they'd bother me. Um, and then, like ten years ago, I just thought I want to start running again. So I started getting to it again, and and I was really gradual about how I did it. And anyway, it's a long saga, but eventually, I was able to run without knee problems again. And then, uh, um, and then I did actually start getting into some races, you know, five k, ten k sort of things. Actually, just five k's. And then we we had a there was a relay that we did um, at work um, that was really fun. Um, a couple of years, so sort of competitive because they were organized races. But I was never like, I'm going to win this race. Although I did win our ward five k two years in a row. That probably made you feel <laughs> good, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Next time you're uh, you're given any sort of assignment, you can just be like, um, "I ran faster than you, so I am. I'll give you an assignment. Thank you very much." Some sense of superiority. Now, right. Since you've done a marathon, I'm curious what you think it is. I've never done a marathon. The farthest I've ever run without stopping was almost three miles, and that was an 11 minute pace, if I remember right. And I enjoyed the feeling, you know, I still do try to do a jog now and again, but I've never been very good at it or anything like that, you know, I'd ne not necessarily fell in love with it, um, though I do like the feeling you get, you know, when I do run a bit. But a marathon, man, it baffles me. That is just so far. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> the history of the marathon is precisely that a man ran from <laughs> marathon to Athens. And died. And died, yeah. So, like, what What are we doing? <laughs> Was that, did you feel that way after you ran that marathon? Did, were you kind of like, oh, I see why he fell over and died after delivering that news? Yeah, it was a, it was a very physically trying, emotionally trying experience. Um, uh, and I, I have zero desire to do another one. I'm not one of these people who like, I want to do a marathon every year. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and, and does it not blow your mind that that's not even like there are r organized races. There are super marathons, you know? Yes. It's I have not a friend who's really people. into that. <laughs> she, I have a friend who does like the 50 milers. I think she's done a hundred miler. Wow. Anyway, I just think that's just crazy. I mean, just the amount of time involved and the toll that takes on your body and then the training that's involved. That's for me, that's the big thing with a marathon as I've thought, just the amount of training, mm -hmm. um, I, I just can't devote that kind of time. To yeah, it's not like you can just get up and go. You've got to prepare for it. Right. And I didn't prepare well enough last time, which was part of my problem. But, um, yeah. The, um, the, the, the mental strength that it takes, I think, is at least as, as, as admirable, if not even more so, than the physical strength that it takes to... I mean, I just... I, how hard it is for me to push myself to three miles, you know? I just can't right. even imagine what a person is able to do with their mind to be able to push through to 50 or even 100 miles. It's amazing. It's, it's remarkable how your body um, adjusts to, and, and I, I can't imagine adjusting to 50 miles and, or even a marathon really, but um, I remember a few years ago when I started running again, you know, the time I ran, I think I ran maybe a mile and it was, you know, beat <laughs> and and then but your body just gets used to it and it's surprising how well your body adapts to things um and i never got to running lots i, I think the longest i ran was like maybe six miles but so I, I didn't even do a half but um at least in my most recent running it's, but but your body just adjusts and you you gain this ability to have before it's remarkable 
it seems like there is a, a crossover here to like sort of the the uh, that feeling that many of us get after we go through the holidays without playing our pipes much, and uh, mm. and then try to strike a minute and it's like, well, I can only play for about two minutes, and <laughs> it's like, how did I do a parade? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if drummers experience a similar thing. Um, I'm sure that there's some dexterity that kind of goes away if you don't play for a while, and then you kind of feel it coming back. And uh, and surely there are some you know some physical requirements to carry a drum for a long time as well. Um, yeah. So, do you have any advice for a guy like me who tries to do a casual jog? And I think I I think just as of like a week ago, I started getting shin splints. Oh. Yeah. Is that just um, something all runners learn to deal with? Um, I haven't had that too much. I did have some kind of shin splintish things once, and I, I I think it's a stretching issue actually. Oh really? Um, that makes sense. I'm not a very flexible person. I don't focus a lot on stretching. Yeah. So for me, so here's the long part of the story that I didn't go into, but and I won't go into too long. But when I started trying to run again, like ten years or so ago, my my old knee pain came back, and it was really frustrating, and and it took me months and. A priesthood blessing and lots of other things in order to get over that, and and finally triggered it because it started coming back again. And I thought, oh, I just I think I'm going to give up. And I said, I'm just going to walk. I'm I'm giving up on running because it just hurts all the time. And so I started walking with a friend in the mornings. And after we'd done that for a week or two, after we finished our walk, I was just feeling good. And I thought, I'm just going to run a little bit. And I felt great. Mm. And and after that, we would walk every day, and then I would run. And and what was different for me, I think, is is that I had warmed up well. Oh, I see. Walk for like a mile and a half, and then I would go run for a few miles, and I felt fine, and my knee didn't bug me. Um, every once in a while it would bother me again, but I, I'd learned some stretches that I could do, and if, if my knee was bothering me, I'd stretch a little bit. And usually my knee would bother me if it had been, you know, a, a few days or a week since I'd run, and then I would run, then, then my knee would bug me again. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, usually if I would warm up with a good walk and I would do some stretching, my knee was fine. Um, and, and so what I learned from that about stretching is uh, stretching is important, but warming up is also important. And, you know, a lot of people, they just, they walk up, that's what I, you, you walk up, you go outside and you run. Um, but, but if you can warm either just a good long walk or, uh, some more dynamic stretching where you're like, you know, kicking your legs or kind of jogging in place or there's various kind of dynamic stretching things you can do or or just actual stretching. But warming up before you stretch is helpful. You know, even walk around the block just to get your muscles loose, then stretch, mm-hmm. then run. Um, and uh, and there's some specific shin, specific shin splint stretches. It's, if I'm remembering right, um, the shin splints are actually caused by tightness in your calf. Interesting. Um, it's interesting that you feel the pain elsewhere, but that, that right. it's all connected. So I'm sure. Yeah, and so I think the strategy at that time to try to help that was, um, you know, standing at a at a curb, facing the curb, and you put your toe on the on the sidewalk and your heel down into the gutter, mm-hmm. and you kind of push down on that to stretch your your calf there. Mm. Um, well, and, I'm going to give that a try, and I don't <laughs> mean to turn everything that you say into a bagpipe um allegory but i do feel like there there might be something here where you know sure. diving straight into the reel you've been working on sometimes might be okay but maybe it's a good idea to 
Hmm. run some of those fundamental exercises, do a scale of doublings and stuff like that before diving in. It might right. it might prove to be a more positive practice experience when playing bagpipes. That's true. Loosen up your fingers. And, and I always feel like I, I, I want to put in something about drumming, but I don't know enough about it. You know, like, oh, you know, <laughs> do, do a set of paradiddles before diving into the music or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure the drummers are used to having to, uh, you know, translate things into drummer from listening because of course pipers are long-winded right so we do so much talking <laughs> yeah well now now do tell me a little bit jeff about uh not just a little bit tell me all about how you came to bagpiping not not just the band like though i do want to hear that i love your story um but like why did why do you like it and how you know when do you first remember hearing bagpipes and stuff like that give me sort of the whole thing sure um can I ask? Can I ask the why you like it question first? Because I'm afraid I'll, I'll forget it. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, why I like it now is different than why I used to like it. Um, that sounds really interesting. Why I like bagpipes? I mean, I love the sound, right? Mm-hmm. I've always loved the sound, but um, for me now, playing bagpipes is it's a form of service. You know, it's I love playing for a funeral and just how meaningful that is for people. It's one of my favorite things in the world, you know, just to to give something to someone who is really in need and to see how it touches them and moves them. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful thing. It's a, it's a gift to me to be able to be a part of that and to and to experience that that time of shared mourning and um and and it's a feeling of love, you know. And and so I I love playing for funerals. Um, I love playing just at the cemetery. Sometimes I just go play there, and um, almost without fail, someone will come up after and offer tears and just thanking me for playing. Um, and and so I love playing in a way that that lifts people, and and bagpipes do that in a really powerful, moving way, and and I think a unique way. There's something about that sound that touches people. And this is a silly example, but a, a few years ago at, for Robert Burns Day um, at work, um, we do a treat day once a month, a treat day for January, and, and I made some haggis, and, uh, and, and I piped in the haggis, you know, and so yeah. I, I played my pipes down the hall and into our big room, and we had haggis, and, um, and one, of the, one of the designers, after we were done, he said, that sound, it just gets you, you know? And, and it's true, there's something about the sound of bagpipes that just, it stirs your heart, you know? And, and, uh, um, and so I think that bagpipes have this powerful way of touching, all music does, but something about bagpipes I think is unique about that. And, and, and maybe because they're often used with, at funerals and, and meaningful occasions like that, they carry some of that weight some sort of association um, might be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Lizzie and I have played in Nauvoo for a few years. That also is a really meaningful experience to be able to to combine this music that I love with, with my testimony of the gospel and to share faith um, and spirit with people um, is a really powerful and delightful thing. And so, so for me, bagpipes have become uh, that I love to do because it's it's a great way of giving to people yeah. and and receiving for myself in return. <laughs> 
And I, I think that anybody who hears this will know, but just in case that playing at Nauvoo, that's Nauvoo, Illinois, where the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has, oh, what what is it? They own property and does and uh, they have like a lot of missionaries there for sort of a, it's kind of a tourism kind of situation, right? Kind of people come there yeah. and then they do this uh, this pageant that, that involves bagpipes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's every summer for a few weeks they'll do this pageant and, and then there's just a lot of stuff surrounding the People come, and so we play some mini concerts every day throughout the historical parts of Nauvoo. And then before the pageant every night, we play a concert um, for an hour or so as people are arriving. And uh, it's just a, yeah, it's it's an awesome thing to be able to do. We love it. I, I've heard that it, knowing I've never gone myself, but knowing a lot of people who've gone, they've told me about how um, it's not it's not just. Uh, you know, of course, there's a sort of a, a spiritual aspect to it for for people who go and play who are members of the church and and are excited about that side of it. But it's also like the best bagpipe conditioning boot camp <laughs> you could ever do because you have to play for so many hours every single day in the heat. Yeah, you come back just like a superhero. You just could handle anything. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It, that gave me so much. Fun. Before that, I was really struggling. Before the first time we met, I was really struggling to keep my pipes going, and and I was getting better by then. But but that experience, those you know two and a half weeks of playing for hours and hours every day, and and having people go over your pipes and adjust them and and work with you every day was it was yeah it was a boot camp. It was it was awesome. So so back to your question of how did I get into it? Yeah, um, I know that. Um, I, I think I, I mean I've always loved the bagpipes, and and I think my my memory is that my first exposure to bagpipes was Fourth of July parade when I was a kid, you know, and and this I was, just was this the parade in Provo? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I just always I mean I loved the parade in general, and I loved the bands, but the bagpipe bands are my favorite, and and I'd love to hear the bagpipes come through. And it, so for, it may be too distant in memory, but I'm curious if you happen to have put A and B together and figure out which bands were playing when you when you heard them, you know, back back in the when you were a kid. Yeah, I haven't no been able to figure that out. It it always seems like there were two or three in the parade back in the day. Yeah, it, it um, would make sense if Utah Pipe Band was one of them. They they being one of the older ones that's been yeah. around for for the longest. Um, yeah, I don't remember well. Well, go on. Go on. I would like to hear more. Yeah, but I, I just loved that. And, and so somewhere along the line, I decided I'd love to play bagpipes. But it was always just kind of a thing of, oh, I'd love to play bagpipes. Like, I'd love to see the Northern Lights, you know. It was just this... Sure. <laughs> that'd be cool to play the bagpipes. Um, uh, but we do have some Scottish heritage. You know, my name is McClellan or whatever. And so so there's some, you know, tie there. But mostly I just... Thought it'd be cool. I'd love to play bagpipes. And uh, when I was in my early 20s, my mom bought me a, a chanter and a little learn to play the bagpipes thing. It had a tape. It was back when we had tapes. Um, and, and a little book. And it was those cheap Pakistani chanters. Um, and, uh, and I fiddled with it a little bit, but not really intently. And then, um, probably about seven years ago, um, I, I'd come across a ukulele at my parents' house, and I was just fiddling around with it and having some fun with it. And uh, and it was years time, and I I thought I want to 
just get good at a new instrument. That's that's one of my New Year's resolutions. And and I was thinking I could do the ukulele, or I've got that bagpipe chanter. You know, I could do bagpipes. And I was debating between ukulele and bagpipes. And uh, and so I asked my daughter Lizzie. I said, Okay, I want to learn a, a, an instrument. Should I do the ukulele or should I do bagpipes? And, and she very enthusiastically and very quickly said bagpipes. And I, I was surprised by how, how much she embraced that. She said, oh, you should do bagpipes. And I thought, okay, my, I've got my answer. I'll do bagpipes. And, and so I started playing around with that old chanter, and it was really hard to make good sound with it. And, yeah, that's and so, be a real challenge. Oh, yeah, it was, it was awful. And then so in, for my birthday a couple months later, my wife got me a, a good chanter. Um, and I started learning a few songs and, and I was, you know, just, I was just teaching myself, you know, I'd find things online or whatever and try to learn a few songs. I think I learned Amazing Grace and, um, and then, uh, that summer one day I thought I should see if I can find some pipes. Well, and I started, you know, listening to things on YouTube and learning more about pipes and I learned about small pipes and I thought, oh, small pipes, that might be a good way to get into it. And, and I looked on KSL. Uh, dot com once on the classifieds and there was somebody selling a set of small pipes in Salt Lake for a few hundred dollars and I thought that sounds really cool and so I bought these small pipes and started playing with them and uh, and I liked that and I, I was by no means any good at all but I was just learning you know at a few things and then that fall as school started it was uh, 14 I think I think it was her 8th grade year mm-hmm. um, and at Mazer um, Prep, and uh, and there some there was an announcement that came through the first week or two of school saying, hey, there's this bagpipe band that's going to start practicing at our school, and they're offering free lessons for students. And uh, and Lizzie's like, hey, <laughs> we've got some bagpipes. I can actually do that. And Lizzie was excited about it, and we thought, okay, great. And so I would take Lizzie to those lessons. And, and we thought, I don't know why we didn't get the message, but we thought that the free lessons were just for the students. So I would take Lizzie and I would sit in the back and she would, she was using my chanter and, um, and, and that went on for like a year. And then sometime in the spring when we were at the park practicing, um, we were talking with Diana and, and she mentioned something about how the lessons were free for anybody. I was like, what, really? <laughs> and then she started talking about this idea of, we want to we want to make a band, and and I thought, wow, that's cool. And Lizzie and I got excited about this idea of a band. And until then, we were just, hey, that this is fun. Let's learn to play bagpipes, and mm-hmm. we're not going to spend any money on anything more than the small pipes. But then all of a sudden, it became a very expensive. Pro- yeah, we can you imagine about- <laughs> how much money you would have saved if Lizzie had enthusiastically said, "Oh, ukulele, learn ukulele." Right. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and we've also thought if she'd said ukulele, we might have been going to Hawaii. Right, yeah. <laughs> Instead of dealing with the gnats in Illinois, you might be right. in Hawaii <laughs> strumming on a, on a ukulele instead. Yeah. Anyway, so that's how we got into it. And then, uh, yeah, it's taking lessons. And then we started buying the full bagpipes and the kilts and marching in the parades. And, and it, we loved it. It was awesome. Well, and I mean, how many years was it until you were the pipe major of the grade five band? Hmm. That's a good question. Let's see. Uh, there was a year of chanter and a year of struggling with my pipes, and then a year of, I think, competing. I think it was probably one, one, two, three. I think it was probably three years. That's so cool. It's a fast turnaround. It's not this. I don't think most people experience that path, Jeff. Just in case you weren't aware that most people don't, you know, within 
the number of years they can count on one hand than start running the group. So it was very good of you, very brave of you to be willing to jump in and, and help with that. And you did, you, you've done great. Thanks. I, I really didn't know what I was doing. But. Well, you know, that's, I was just talking to Scott about this, you know, how, uh, I mean, how much, maybe the entire world is all just people faking it until they can make it and that's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. So where does it, uh, where does it sit for you right now? Do you listen to bagpipes recre recreationally? You know, is it a, a thing that you would do for pleasure or is it mostly kind, you know, kind of a, uh, I don't want to say work, but is it is it kind of task and goal oriented at this point? Um, I do listen to bagpipes um, recreationally. My family teases me about it. Um, <laughs> YouTube videos you know, is, is my big thing. I'll, and, I, and I do have like a bagpipe Pandora station that I listen to sometimes, but mostly it's YouTube videos. Um, often we have a disabled daughter and um, so feeding her is a little bit of a process. And so sometimes at night when I'm feeding her, get my iPad out and I'll just listen to bagpipe YouTube videos while I'm preparing her food and feeding her and whatever. And, um, and other times with that, when I'm just, I want a little bit of escape, I'll just go listen to some bagpipe YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there any, has, has she been able to give you any indication if she enjoys your bagpiping or if, if she'd prefer you not play too close? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I often play, I usually play in the basement. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's been many times when I'll go down and play at night, you know, like at nine or, and when I come back up, she's asleep. And oh, okay, so it, not, it can't be too bad. <laughs> it can't be too bad. And I sometimes think, I think that the droning might kind of put her to sleep. Mm. Um, but she's come to like some Scottish festivals and parades and things. Um, and it's hard to really tell. Mm. She doesn't like react too much. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I just know that my own experience with my children has been, I've been kind of surprised at, at just how young they have a, either a strong preference for or even against the bagpipes. My oldest, oh, yeah. I, was, I was sad for a while because he did not like the bagpipes one bit for a long mm -hmm. time. He would run anytime I played and cover his ears <laughs> and tell me to stop. <laughs> and uh, Did he come he, around? He has now, yeah. I'm just, I, he's, he's eight now, and I've just barely started teaching him on the chanter, and he seems excited about it. But, uh, but then my youngest right now, my little girl, she will just run up and stand right under the chanter as I play my bagpipes, and I have to stop <laughs> and tell her, no, you can't do that unless you're wearing, like, you know, earplugs or something, sweetie. You're going right. to blow your brains out, you know, with the, with the sound. But... Um, but it's funny how from one kid to the next, depending on their age, they have a preference or not, you know? Yeah. So do you have any favorites, any favorite um, favorite bagpipers to listen to, be it YouTube videos or otherwise? Pipers or pipe bands or, or bagpipe adjacent people, anything like that? Um, I'm not too picky. Um, I do like, is it Lincoln Hilton? Yeah. Oh, his man, name. yeah. Um, I like his stuff. It's all really well done and... You know, it's well produced and good music, and um, I, I I like a lot of it. But there's some of them that it, you know, it's just somebody's you know phone video in mm -hmm. Scotland, and, and and the sound isn't so good. You know, so I, yeah. I, I don't love those, but sometimes they're great too. Um, so I'm I'm more like the well produced ones. Um, so his are great. Um, Dark Isle Piper is that? Yeah, her name? Dark Isle Piper. Yeah, I've enjoyed some of hers. Um, uh, bag, um, Josh Anderson in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. um, do you know him? 
not not necessarily personally no um okay. i think we have met a couple times but uh but just I actually passing. sorry this is a total tangent i met his wife this week so oh, i yeah. um she just started working at byu and um and I didn't make the connection at first, but she she's doing design for another area on campus, and she wanted to meet with me to learn about our department because we do publications design. And, and so we set up a Zoom meeting because that's what we do these days. And uh, the Zoom meeting comes on, and I see her face. And I'm like, she looks really familiar. And then oh, it okay. took me like two seconds, and it connected of his videos. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. Like you did that Scotland the Brave video. That well, she I think she's probably featured in a few of his videos, hasn't yeah. she? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I think he's good. I like his stuff. Um, you know what I, I love? Really, I, I don't, oh, go ahead. I don't mean to, just before you move on to the next one, just on, on the note of Josh Anderson, we have, we've emailed a little bit, partly because I've, we've been trying to put together this, you know, this book and some learning videos for the band, and I wanted to have some sort of additional, you know, we're somewhat limited in what we can do, and so I just kind of wanted to have a few resources to provide to anybody to say like if this is good and you want more you know here are some places you can go and he he does his bagpipe master mm -hmm. uh courses and he teaches and stuff so i reached out to him about that and uh he's very friendly and nice about it but the, the one of the things that stands out to me is he's got i i love design stuff he's got a beautiful website he's mm -hmm. got a great logo and he's got some t-shirts that are just really cool, really cool bagpipe t-shirts, like just some of the coolest designs that, hmm. you know, the as far as looking at design kind of thing, you know, the, what, what's that word, aesthetic design. Yeah. Um, really great, really, really great. And he, so of I think course, all that was make, designed by his wife, actually. Oh, so she did all that. Well, that, you know, that I makes think sense so, if though. she's working. Yeah. That, that would make sense if she's working in design. Well, then yeah. she is one of my favorite uh, bagpipe-related designers. Um, uh, I, I love some of the stuff that they've, that they've made and of course the video production that they do is, is also excellent yeah and she told me she's the video master and all that so she and the photographer and like all the still photos on the side are hers and she designed and produced the website and does the videos and whatever so yeah she's well, really for, forget josh then like everything i admire about him <laughs> is basically his wife's work <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah i was really impressed when she told me that wow that's some good stuff no he's a he's a great piper his playing is excellent yeah so some of the other pipers that I like to listen to um, are actually um, uh, either small pipes or, do you say it illin? I'm never quite sure I'm saying it right. Yeah, I think so. I think it is pronounced illin, but I'm also not entirely mm. sure. Yeah. But I agree with uh, you, man. Yeah, I love those sounds. I'll tell you, if money were no object, a set of illin pipes is absolutely top of my list for things that I would have. Yeah, Just that would be cool. Thing. It's like really complicated to play. Yeah, I'm sure I would spend the rest of my life just trying to figure them out. Right. You got to love the process, right? Love the process instead of focusing on yeah. becoming a pro. Right. I've actually been wanting to ask you. You have um, have a set of bellows, small pipes. Yeah. How do you like the bellows experience? Um, personally, I do like it a lot. And it, at first, I liked it just because it's a little bit different, you know. So it's just kind of fun to do something different after having blown into a bag for a long time. It's just any kind of change is kind of refreshing. Mm -hmm. um, but part of it is that I'm 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 really really drawn to Illin pipes, and so anything that got me closer to mm. you know kind of thinking, well, if I play my small pipes with bellows, then if someday I do manage to get a set of Illin pipes, I'll at least be able to squeeze the bellows, you know. Mm -hmm. But part of it also is um, through a piper named Timothy Cummings, 
Who's yes, that? Uh, I've seen his stuff as well. I really oh, like him. He's one of my favorites, man. He's so, so wonderful. Um, through him, I came to know about this art form called, most people would just call it pipe singing, where you just basically you sing and accompany yourself with your own bagpipes. Mm, cool. And of course, that's not, it's, well, I have seen people sing, you know, with Highland pipes, but it's, you can imagine challenging to blow it up and then you sing a harmony note and then you blow some more. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, if you want to do pipe singing, playing with bellows is kind of a requisite. And so that's kind of my main motivation for, for having them and playing them. But uh, I do love it, and I would recommend it to anybody. I think it's a, lot, a really fun way to play with bellows. Cool. And I had yeah, a jaw that's... surgery a little while ago, too, and during recovery, that was the only oh. way I could play, so I was glad to have them then. Right, yeah. Do you find that the sound of the bellows small pipes is different than your mouth-blown small pipes, or is it the same? No, it's actually, I actually use them on exactly the same set of pipes. Um, I can, mm. I just switch between bellows and mouth blown. But one thing, okay. one benefit to the bellows is that you don't change the temperature or moisture levels inside your pipes. And so all of my small pipes have um, synthetic reeds. So mm. if I'm not, unless it's like some extreme temperature changes, like if I'm playing outdoors, the inside of that bag and every reed is going to stay bone dry and at the same temperature so once i set the tuning it pretty much stays the same and that is i think that's probably one of the main benefits to playing with bellows especially if you're you know small pipes you can get in concert pitches and so if your motivation is to be able to play with a an accompanist of some sort or join in a group of other musicians being able to set your tuning and have it stay consistent um that's that's helpful for sure cool they have um and i think they do i think i've seen this that like actual reed, not synthetic reeds, but I don't know what natural reeds for small pipes. And do they sound different? Do you think? Yeah, they have them. Um, honestly, I've never played on them, with the exception of one chanter reed. My, all the drone reeds I've ever played in, and and to be you know for context, I've only I've only ever owned maybe three or four different sets of small pipes, and it's a it's an expensive addiction that I I try to you know sort of <laughs> sell them before I get another set so that it kind of covers itself, but. My poor, my poor wife. She's very patient and sweet with me, and my, and my <laughs> strange and very. She's like, you know, why couldn't you, have grown up obsessed with baseball cards? You could buy so many baseball cards. You know, like why does it have to be bagpipes? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but yeah, as far as the sound quality goes, I would imagine there is a difference, but I can't speak to it personally from my own experience. Most of what I've done has all been synthetic reeds on pipes from different makers, sure, in different in different pitches and stuff like that, but always synthetic. So Jeff, who do you think is your biggest fan when it comes to playing bagpipes? Who is it that just loves mm. to hear you play? Um, that's a good question. And they don't have to um, know, so you know, go ahead. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I think I've often thought that my family just tolerates it, <laughs> but uh, but there's been some times lately where I've been playing and I come in and my wife says that sounded really and and I think oh maybe she likes this <laughs> um but there are people in my neighborhood who just rave about it sometimes just how much they love hearing me play that's um, nice I think so any pipe sure there's some of them that curse me for it too yeah just right to my face but I think those ones probably loom large in most of our consciousnesses when we have to play in our backyard <laughs> right. or something we think oh who am I driving crazy right now yeah yeah. 
do you when you're playing like at cemeteries and things like that do you sort of rotate and change where you go or do you have some favorite spots um i i live not too far from the orem cemetery so i'd pretty much play there now kind of to our previous conversation if money were no object what bagpipe related item would you currently possess be it an instrument uniform part or even travel or anything else like that what would be your sort of your golden item or experience um i think i would love to get um a, a really nice my my small pipes are um are polybanco mm-hmm. um which are great but um and they're like completely maintenance free and i absolutely love that right sure that's never <laughs> but, a problem yeah i had the the money i would love a really nice set of of bellows blown wood small pipes mm-hmm. Um, there was one I saw for sale the other day for like fifteen hundred. That looked it was a guy in like Ogden or something. Mm. Looked like a really nice set, um, but uh, oh, are you familiar with sp- um, up? Uh, there's a uh, Ross Morrill makes makes bagpipes, including small pipes, and there you are, beautiful. Hmm. I think that was actually the maker. I believe it. Yeah, because he he lives up there. Yeah, and he does make. Huh. They're, they're beautiful. He does it with different kinds of wood, and he has this. He does a lot of designs that are. They'll be a dark wood against a lighter colored wood, you know. Mm. So like the ferrules or the accents would be either dark or light. And uh, man, they they are so pretty. And I have heard them played, and they sound beautiful too. Cool. I've been drooling over Fred Morrison, real pipes for years. <laughs> Those are black wood usually. Yeah. So I think small pipes. A nice set of wood small pipes. Um, if money were no object, but the the other thing that I think I'd like to the a blackwood solo chanter for my oh, yeah. Highland pipes, I and I'm not positive this is true, but I have the sense that solo chanters are just a little more mellow than a band chanter. Um, is that yeah. true? I've I've felt that way. I and I have. I mean, I've talked with other pipers about it too, and wondered, and I still have no conclusion to what degree it might be a placebo effect. Mm. But I definitely, right. I don't own a, a Blackwood solo chanter myself, but I, I've borrowed one in particular for a very long time from Zach that hmm. it was, it felt somehow like playing on a cloud or like playing on butter. You know, it just was like more mellow hmm. or smooth or something. Yeah. And I know that um, Swan recently got one of those uh, Infinity chanters. Um, I don't know if you've seen those before. I, I who, who is it that did it? I think R.G. Hardy. Um, I could be wrong about that, though. But whomever did it, they, they looked at the chanters of a lot of sort of world-class soloists and kind of tried to figure out, like, what, you know, what what aspects of the chanter, physical, its physical design, etc., might draw, you know, really high-quality players to these chanters, you know, and then kind of tried to make an amalgamation of, like, all the best aspects of these, these chanters. And one of the things about that chanter is that the, if you can imagine the holes where your fingers go, rather than having like a hard ridge around the hole, it's been sanded down and smoothed down to where I, can't, I don't know how to describe it, but when you when you play on that chanter, rather than playing on something hard, it definitely feels like you're playing on something soft. Hmm. And I think that probably that effect on the you know the example chanters they were looking at is probably just from the person playing that chanter so much. You know? Right. <laughs> But they send them to you like pre-worn, as it were, you know, nice. already already in the sweet spot. Yeah. 
So I think cool. there, I think there is something to it. I think there is something special about those blackwood chanters, though I couldn't I couldn't speak to uh, you know scientifically why it is that way. Yeah. I thought I'd read somewhere that it might be that some of the solo chanters have a slightly narrower bore, oh. so they're slightly less brash mm-hmm. in their sound. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I'm not 100% positive that that's the case. I've seen little hints at that somewhere, and anyway. Mm-hmm. But. Is, is there anything, Jeff, about your experience playing bagpipes, be it uh, soloing or playing with a group, that you would love to be able to sort of share... Like, if you could bundle up this experience the way it feels, etc., and could share it with your friends and family who don't play bagpipes, uh, I guess really what I'm getting at is, what's your favorite thing about playing bagpipes? But maybe that's a way to frame it. Um, go with it as you will. What, what do you love about it? Hmm. Um... good question um i think um i think i'm going to come back to to what i said before of of playing like at a at a funeral and or or at some other service where people just really feel touched by it um that is it's a precious sacred experience and lizzie's only played at a couple of funerals with me um but i remember the the first one that she played out with me, she had that same experience. And, and when we were done, she was like, you know, if all we did, maybe I said it, I can't, one of us said it. <laughs> if all, if all we did was play at funerals, it would be worth all the effort of learning to play bagpipes. And there was this sense, we both had this feeling of that was just really moving and powerful. And, um, it's just, especially at a funeral when people's hearts are tender and, and, uh, and they're feeling, sorrow and it brings comfort it brings peace it expresses it's sort of a mournful sound right so in some way it expresses it's it's cathartic maybe and it it expresses the the sorrow they're feeling and in that that joint shared expression there is comfort given um being a part of that with someone is is powerful yeah well i agree with you entirely I mean, I think about it every time I play a funeral, like, man, you know, how many of these have I done? And still, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just an especially emotional person, but I usually at least tear up a bit. I mean, you kind of, you have to keep control so that you can play your instrument, you know. But so often at a funeral, you're there before the family arrives. And so you're seeing people show up. And so as they get there, you're kind of kind of taking it all in and it builds up to where then there will be graveside commentary and prayers and things like that and so you, you end up kind of learning about this person and maybe mm-hmm. more particularly the relationship that this person had with the people who are there mourning them and uh, I mean how can you not be affected by that and don't we sit in the privileged position that like usually for a person the funerals they attend would be the few people in their own family you know who pass away and of course those are tender experiences that are you know gonna stand out in anybody's mind but not not a whole ton of people get to sort of look in in this way on that experience that's happening in other families and for other people and sometimes at a regular kind of regular frequency you know a piper might end up at multiple funerals in a month and uh, mm-hmm. 
you'd think that you'd get you'd get immune to it at some point, you know, and just have an untouchable heart. But I don't think that happens. That's just a very a very real experience that you can't you can't really be cold to it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, um, at this point, you know, you decided a few years ago that you were going to get real good at a musical instrument, and you're getting real good at bagpipes. Do are there any other musical instruments that are kind of calling your attention that you kind of think oh, I'd like to learn to play that sometime? Um, at this point, just other bagpipers, mm-hmm. small pipes. Um, I I do have a an Irish whistle, two Irish whistles now, um, and I have a barren. And so you know, I'd love to get good at all those and figure out how to do them together somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have any sort of um, pre-performance ritual um, ways that you, be it, be it sort of mental exercises or physical things you go through with your instrument or your music before you're going to go play at a funeral or a competition or any kind of any kind of um, performance? Um, not too much, really. I mean, I, I warm up with, a, I have a little warm-up routine that I do with the scale and some doublings and whatever, but nothing, nothing more significant than that. Is that warm-up routine something sort of of your own invention that's come together over the years you've been playing, or is it something you picked up from a book or from another paper? No, it's it's just come together, um, and part of it was, and I've added things to it as as I thought I need to work on. And the first thing I added to to it was the the D throw, you know, and so I, I'll do a scale, and I and I do a scale, and then I do it faster, and I do it faster and faster, and. My my goal there is to do it really fast and have it even and and <laughs> but uh, but I you know I'll I'll get pretty fast even and then I get what's really jumbled and I'm trying to get that better and then and then I'll do doubling I'll do the the D throws and then I do um, the toraluas and then I do um, a doubling on every note going up and down and then I do. Uh, what's it called? Is it a grip? Mm-hmm. I think it's a grip, and I'll do a grip through the scale as well. And I think that's and the grip is one that I just added. I I think that's most. It was probably about a year. There was some song that we were doing that I think my grips were not very good, and I thought I need to work on grips, so I added grips. But. What's your What's your current instrument setup? What kind of pipes do you play? Um, I play, um, it's a, ah, what's the name of it? Um, Sorry, I maybe should have allowed you to prepare for that question, because <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like, <laughs> what kind of pipes, what kind of... It should be an easy question, and I know stuff. it, I just, I'm, why am I blanking on it? Maybe the it cow? starts with... That's a, that's a... No, no, oh. it's not, it's a lesser known... Oh, of course, a, I can see your pipes in my mind, um, they're beautiful. Uh, uh, it's a P, it starts with a I think. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think. Um, it might it might come to you, but while while you're letting your sort of the back of your brain work on it, will you tell me the story about how you tried to get a mount repaired on your pipes? <laughs> right. So um, I have some imitation ivory ring caps, and um, and one of them I, when I got them, a couple of them had minor chips. And then one of them had a big chip break off once, and I glued it back on. And then, and then later I noticed there was a, a big chip missing, a really big chip, like a third of the the 
the ring gone. And, and missing have, as in lost, like you didn't have I've, it sitting yeah. in your case or anything like that. Yeah, I have no idea where it is. So I couldn't glue it back on like I'd done the other chip. And so, and and it's still like that. <laughs> Very good. Um, Pettigrew. Pettigrew, that's <laughs> Pettigrew, the name. Pettigrew pipes. Anyway, so, so the, the the chip, you know, it, it's just missing and, um, and it doesn't look great, but it's okay. Um, and I, I started thinking, how would I repair it? And I thought, the rest of my pipes don't have any ivory on them. They're they're just that they're they're, um, they're they don't it's, they don't have the you know the the lines on them, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they've got some nickel ferrules um, throughout. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to just have a nickel ring cap um, instead of the ivory? And so I started looking around. I emailed a few people and and found. I actually contacted Pettigrew in Scotland. Um, is the son of the pipe maker who made my pipes, but he said that he's probably the one who because he worked for his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he has his own pipe making thing, and he said he could fix them and he could he could put um, uh, nickel on there instead of uh, just repairing the um, the, the ivory. Yeah. And so I uh, I thought, well, that's awesome, and and he and he gave me a great price, way cheaper than the people I'd contacted in the states. Um, cheap enough that it was worth shipping them all the way to Scotland, and mm-hmm. so I or, took the or top. Or so you thought, right? <laughs> or so I thought. Yes. <laughs> so I took the top parts of the three drones and packaged them up and shipped them off to Scotland um, last uh, October, I think. Mm-hmm. And and I thought it would be just a few weeks. Um, and uh, after a couple of weeks, um, I got an email, I think, um, saying that there was. Um, uh, there was, uh, I'm forgetting the word. Anyway, some sort of, uh, I had to pay a customs fee mm. on, on the importing of the pipes. And, uh, and it was, and, and I called on it and I thought they said it was like a couple dollars. And I was like, okay, no problem. And then, and, and then I got an email from Pettigrew days later and he said, we got, they came to us with a notification that the pipes were ready for us to pick up, but they said that the um, the customs due was a hundred dollars or pounds actually, mm. and and uh, and they said we don't want much, and <laughs> do you want us to pay that much? And I said no way, um, and so um, I did some checking, and there was nothing I could do about getting it changed, and. And the, the notification said if we didn't pay it by this much, it would be returned to sender by this much time. And so I thought, okay, I'll just wait. And they'll just return it to me after a few weeks. And um, a few weeks came and no pipes. And I and I could check online and see the status of them. And it still said they were in the same place. And it was like a month later and they were still, according to the online thing, they were still there. And I tried calling people and, and couldn't get good answers. And... And then finally, about two months after I'd shipped them off, um, it changed, and it said that they were in like New Jersey or something. And then, uh, and then for the next few days, I watched them as they went all the way across the United States, Salt Lake City, and thought, okay, in the next couple of days, they'll be back. And then the next thing I know, they're in San Francisco. <laughs> and then they, and then they bounced around various places in San Francisco. Um, and then finally, they came back to Salt Lake and came to me. But it was just this crazy saga of, uh, anyway, and my pipes are still broken. But I've thought if I, <laughs> if I end up going to Scotland sometime, 
take I'll them with take you, them right? with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go have him fix them. Oh man! Well, I I saw the you you made maybe it was a social media post or something where you put up a photo of them and a short summary of the of the saga that they've been through, and you said yeah. something like, I, I, I love these broken pipes." You know, <laughs> I'm so glad to have them back. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I borrowed your drones for. That's right. I think Luckily, a month or so during that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeff, this is uh, just, I, I. How do you feel about pineapple as a pizza topping? I love it. Did I already ask you that question? No, you didn't. Okay. But but yes, I. I I wish I could get it more often, but people I get it with usually don't like it. Oh, but Canadian bacon pineapple is my favorite pizza. Mm. Yeah, uh, man. Well, I don't know if I could pick a favorite pizza, but I do love that one for sure. Yeah. My son has asked me, I don't know why he's so interested in it, but multiple times in the last few weeks, he's asked me, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's <laughs> every time I've already decided this. Years hence, I decided this. <laughs> Well, um, Jeff, is there that, I mean, our listenership is going to be the band, I'm sure, you know, I can't imagine this will go much further than that. So it's a, it's a small audience that you're familiar with. Is there any, anything you'd like to sort of share, uh, you know, experiences you have, uh, advice or, or just words of encouragement or affirmations or anything as we sort of button this interview up? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I think the other part that I love about Pipes, and you mentioned the band, and, and that's what brought this to mind, is is the sense of community. Um, you know, I love playing my bagpipes, but I love playing them with good And I just, I, I think our band has a really friendly, warm culture that I love, and I love the friendships that I've made there, and and the chance to spend time together playing although I haven't done it for a long time um, but uh, I, I really value that as well um, I appreciate the good people I appreciate their kindness and and the um, and and that's been a huge gift to me that we got free lessons you know that's amazing you know and and uh, um, Zach and Diana and you um, and and so many others who've spent time teaching me and Lizzie pipes, just a, a profound gift and and so patient and so kind um, through all of that. It's been it's been really nice to feel welcomed into this this bagpipe family, um, and and I love that. I'm I'm really grateful for that aspect of it as well. <laughs> 